Good morning. Well, my name is Adam, and I'm filling in for Phil, uh, and I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, over this Christmas season, I've had, you know, a, a few days off from work to just sit back and watch my in-laws take over my house. Um, and it just gives you time, you know, to think about all the different personalities and different points of view and different, you know, ways people look at the world. And um, one of the things that always uh, amuses me around Christmas time is people's reaction to Santa Claus. Some people basically think Santa Claus is uh, stealing Christmas. He's this figure dressed up in red, sneaks into your house, um, you know, takes the focus away from Jesus. He's got this flying ten-horned beast that he rides and you know, why is he up in the North Pole where it's so cold? Is he going someplace hot? You know, if you rearrange the letters of Santa, whose name does it spell? That, I mean, that's an extreme view, obviously. Other people see St. Saint, Saint Nicholas, a servant of Christ, someone who prefigures Christ and the gifts that he gives to all mankind. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are just in the middle, um, you know, lumping him in with the tooth fairy. Um, as we were spending time with, with my in-laws. We, we all got together, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, my two brothers-in-law, my two sisters-in-law, significant others, my wife, my four kids, the dog. We were all piled in the living room, the fire's going, and we were watching Elf, which is a, a funny little Christmas movie about a human raised by elves. elves. And, um, and he comes back to New York City to find his father. Anyway, at one point, he is at Gimbel's department store, and he finds out that Santa Claus is coming to visit the children. And he becomes so excited, he begins to decorate the whole store. And as the moment arrives, he's standing in the crowd, and he is just bouncing with excitement. You know, Santa is coming, Santa is coming. And he, at one moment, he turns uh, to one of the children next to him, and he says, it's Santa, I know him. And he is just enthusiastically enchanted with his relationship to uh, Santa Claus. That is a picture for me for how we should view Jesus. When we think about Jesus coming into our relationships, into our lives, into um, our stories, we should be bouncing up and down saying, I know him. I mean, you should look as weird as Buddy the Elf um, in that moment to some people. Um, but today I want to look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says, My dear children, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. In this passage, 
we see these three ideas that we, we often hear about, but they're, they're really just one idea. And at the risk of, you know, boring you, I'm going to tell you about them for the next half an hour. <laughs> Not really. Um, they are knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. And if you reread this passage, I mean, it's very short, you will notice that he says that if we know him, we will love him. And if we love him, we will obey him. And if we obey him, we will show that we know him. And if we... Anyway, they're all intertwined. There is a sort of spiritual algebra at work here where to know God is loving and knowing him. And where obeying God is knowing him and loving him. And, I mean, there's another one in there somewhere. But we don't need to worry about the math so much. We just need to think. These three things are really the same thing. It's easy to say we know something because we know about a lot of things. We are, um, we are a culture that is obsessed with information. We have information. I mean, information grows at an exponential rate every day, and we love it. I mean, we, we Google things just to find them out now. It's like... I can know anything I want to know. And we can know anything we want to know about God. We actually have God's word. We have commentaries. We have Bible teachers. We have um, access to the truth. And yet, for many of us, we, we are not connected. We are not, there is a, a, dis, a disconnection between knowing him and loving him and obeying him. And I think part of that problem comes from our student mentality. We think if we come and we sit and we listen and we learn, we will get better. A lot of times we feel that, oh, I'm, I'm struggling with something if I just had a little bit more teaching. If I just ha- could go a little bit deeper or have something a little more profound revealed to me, I, I would just get it. It would unlock. I would have a breakthrough in my spiritual life. You know, a lot of times we get this, you know, from the, from the pulpit a lot of times because we, we preach the passage and we share the principle, and then we offer this um, application to your lives, which usually is something like, if you would just try a little harder, or if you would just do a little better, if we were just a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, this would all work. And that's not exactly the truth that we need to hear. Because what he says, he says, Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new commandment. Rather, it's an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, To love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. So what I want to talk to you about today, I want to to just fill out for you this idea of loving God is knowing God is obeying God. And we're going to actually grab a hold of it with this idea of obedience. Because our idea of obedience and our concept of obedience is a little bit skewed. It's a little bit off-center. Because a lot of times we think that obedience means following the rules or doing what we're supposed to or checking off the items on our checklist, making sure we've got everything done that we're supposed to have done. You know, Mom said to do this, this, and this. So I did this, this, and this. That's obedience. That's not really obedience. That's compliance. That's following instructions. Obedience for the Christian is going to be defined as moving yourself into a position 
where you can receive the good things that Christ has for you. So there is a sense of you have to follow a set of instructions. You do have to move yourself according to the pattern of his instruction. You have to move yourself into a position. But the point of moving yourself into that position is so that you can receive the good things that Christ has for you. And if you wonder, why don't I have the good things that I I feel like I should have? It's probably because you're not in the right position. Let's think about an analogy. And I always like to make sure I'm looking at the right audience for the right analogy because one time I was I was sharing this and um I started talking we're going to talk about football here in a second you guys look like you understand football um these people did not understand football and they were just they were completely lost so we talked about quilting instead <laughs> but today we're going to talk about football because on a football team the goal of of, of of the football team is to move the ball down the field the the receiver, aptly named, his goal is to receive the football. He wants to catch the football. The quarterback wants to give him the football. And in order to do this over all the obstacles, they create a play. They create a set of instructions. They create a set of movements, and they practice it. And they say, I want you to move yourself into this position in this manner so that by the time that I release the ball and it's traveling through space and you're over here zigzagging and juking and sliding, whatever other terms they've got for it, you reach the point where that ball is at the same time as, and you make connection and you, and you run, you receive the football. His whole goal is to receive the football. He is not going through the steps of the play saying, well, the quarterback said I have to do this, I have to go here. I mean, I know the ball's going to be over there. Why can't I just go right here? Why can't I just walk to where the ball is going to be? Why do I got to go through all this hassle and all this nonsense? You know, if you get there too soon, well, the, the, the opposing team is going to block you. If you get there too late, the ball is going to be on the ground. If you don't, if your goal isn't to receive the ball, if that's not your motivation for moving yourself through the play, what is? I mean, if your only point is to say, well, I did all the steps. I ran everything. I was there, the, the quarterback and whatever. I mean, you're, you're missing the point of the game. If you're not living your Christian life saying, the whole point of this play, the whole point of moving myself into these positions isn't so that I can say, I move myself very well. I conduct myself very well. I don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. You know, if, if, that's, if that's your point, if to say, yes, I know all the plays, I can run all the things, you know. Uh, I can follow all the rules. I can say all the right words. I do all the right things. If, if your point isn't to connect with the good things that Christ has for you, you're, you're missing the entire point of the Christian life. And people see that. Because the whole point of receiving these good things is so that we have them at the moment that someone else, somewhere else, is moving themselves into a position. And they're expecting you to give them this good thing. Christ gave it to you, and now you're supposed to be ready to turn around and give it to them. You know? This is how it works. The other day, I was in my, uh, I was at work, and uh, a a guy I know um, came to my mind. And 
he was supposed to, you know, it was just in my mind. I was like, oh, what, what, what's this all about, Lord? Why are you bringing this person to, to mind? And I'm not even sure how to explain because this literally just, just happened today, um, the, the second half of it. Because you get, this, you get this image in your mind saying, you know, this is the person. This, this person is, is in a position where they need something from you. And I'm like, well, Lord, I don't have, I don't have what you want me to give them. So, there, I mean, um, but last night I got called, you know, Chris said, hey, Adam, can you preach? I said, well, I can always preach. That's not a problem. Um, so, I mean, I can fill in. That's, that's, that's easy enough to come and speak to you guys. So after this first service, you know, I preached. Uh, somebody gave something to Chris, and then Chris, you know, he tucked this little check in my pocket. And I'm like, okay, well, that was nice. And I, I looked at it, but it was like it was the exact right amount of money that I thought I should give to this other person. But I didn't have, I don't have any money, you know. Like my bills just went dead even. And I'm like, Lord, there's no way I can, I can do it. You know, until, and it was even more than you normally get for preaching. Like normally you get, you know, a smaller amount uh, to preach. So I, I mean, I didn't even think about it. But the fact that the Lord provides the good things that we have the whole point is so that we have them just in time for the other person. Have you ever wondered why, you know, Lord, I really need this and nothing happens? Well, maybe because someone else isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, there are people in your lives who are, who are supposed to be in the right position, and they're not. Obedience is about moving yourself into a position where you can receive the good things. And the good things that we receive are meant so that we can give good things at the right moment. These aren't things meant to be consumed by us. They're not things meant to be spent on our passions or our desires or our appetites. They're meant to be passed on. And I expect that whatever this money goes to in this person's life will be spent. You know, it'll keep going out. This is how you feed 5,000. I mean, this is, this is how miracles... Um, move through the, the kingdom of God because he pours out his blessing and it should spread out through the people in our lives. He says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins, but the sins of the entire world. And if you think about it, we don't know the entire world. We're not connected to the entire world, but we are connected to the people in our world. We are connected to the people in our life. I have the people that I work with. I have the people that are in my house. I have the people in my neighborhood that I'm connected to. And when we move ourselves into a position where we can receive those good things, we have something to share with them. When we don't share this, when we don't share the good things that Christ gives with us, with them, I mean, essentially it's stealing. Essentially, it is, you know, keeping it for yourself. Um, and what Paul says, he says, let those who steal, you know, work with their own hands so they have something to share with others. But let's continue on. Let's, if anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go. 
having been blinded by darkness. We need to understand the scope of the gospel. We need to understand how obedience to the gospel is going to work. Because the gospel is, is a very simple story. It's Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up. He did no sin. He always did what was right. He was perfectly obedient. He always moved himself into the exact right position. And even though he did that, he was arrested, convicted a criminal, and killed on a cross. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he came back to life. He ascended into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God. And one day soon, he's going to come back to judge us. And this judgment that he's going to bring is not going to be based on how good we were, whether we were good or bad. Um, It is going to be based on the commandments that he left for us. If I were to have a math test, that math test is not going to cover French conjugation of verbs. Because it's not a French test, it's a math test. When Jesus comes to judge us, he's not going to judge us based on what we think is right or wrong, or what we think is good or bad. He's going to judge us based on the curriculum he left us. He is going to judge us based on the commandments that he left us to follow. He says, if you know me, you will love me, and you will obey my commandments. He says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey the commandments that I left you. Teach people how to move themselves into a position where they can receive the good things that result from following these commandments. We need to know what these commandments are if we are going to pass this judgment. And the very first commandment, the, very, the principal foundational commandment of Christ is to believe in Christ. Believe in me. Belief is really repenting from your sin, turning, and receiving Christ. It's one single action. You can't turn from sin, um, or you can't receive Christ without turning from sin. To leave your old life behind, to, to embrace a new life. Repenting and receiving is what believing in Christ is all about. As a, as a child, I had a hard time understanding how Jesus dying really did anything for me. I mean, what, I mean how does that work? You know, so, he, so he dies, okay? What, what is actually happening there? And it, I mean, it, it, was, it was quite a while before I actually understood that what Jesus was doing was he was giving his life in exchange for my life. For each misspent day of my life, each day of disobedience, each time I failed to move myself into a position according to his will, he gave a day of his life of perfect obedience. Every day of his life, he spent perfectly obedient to God. Every day of his life, he was always moving according to the will of the Father. And when he climbed on the cross... He gave one day of perfect obedience for each day of my misspent life. All of my yesterdays and all of my tomorrows he purchased with his days. And he has so many days. He has an infinite supply of days. He is the ancient of days. And he has enough days to cover not only my sins, not only your sins, but the sins of the whole world. Anybody who is willing can have their misspent, 
misused, misplaced life replaced with his perfect obedience. Exactly. But it's not just that. Once you get purchased, I mean, you're owned. Once you are bought, you are not your own. This is why we have obedience. It's not simply following some rules from some guy in the sky. It's, oh, I own your body. I own your life. I own your history. I own your future. I own every decision you're going to make. And I want you to move yourself according to that will. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to teach you my word. I'm going to guide your steps every day if you will listen to me. And if you move yourself into a position where you can receive those good things, you will have everything that you need. And you will have it so abundantly that you will be able to share it with everyone else in your life who has a need. So that they will come to you and they will say, I need this. My neighbor across the street, you know, she came over and she said, Adam, I'm in big trouble. And I said, well, what'd you do? She said, I got myself into trouble. My pipes burst and I fixed them. But she said, I took the, the mortgage money to fix the pipes. But she said, it's a land contract. And I thought that they would realize that saving the house was, was good for everybody. And she said, they're not saying that. They're saying, we're taking the house back if you don't pay. I mean, because she got, you know, two months um, she's like, if you don't, I need $1,900, you know, by tomorrow. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my house. And I was sitting there going, oh, man, that's, that's really rough. Um, I had just saved up about $8,000. I mean, it's like the most money I've ever had in my life, you know. <laughs> but um, I just saved it up, and I was... Um, I was strong arming this this um this man he was trying to sell his his um Ford Flex. He's trying to sell it for ten thousand dollars. And I was trying to get him down to eight thousand. So I was really and I was right I was right there. I had him on the ropes. And um and you know, just the thought though that what am I gonna do? I'm gonna buy this new car, I'm gonna pull into my driveway, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna help my neighbor pack up her stuff. <laughs> you know, what am I gonna do? Um and so I said, all right. Um, so we, we ended up, you know, I was talking with my wife, and we ended up giving her the money. And that's money, you know, you're not going to see that money again. You know, it's just like, you just got to let it go. So we, we let that money go. Um, ended up this guy, so this guy went down to 7500 like that next day. I was like, oh, I can't do it. I said, I just gave away. I, I don't have the money anymore. Um, and so he's like, all right. A week later, he calls me back. He says, can you do 6,500? I said, yes, I can do 6,500. <laughs> the next day after that, she comes back, the neighbor comes back with the $2,000. Um, I mean, it just completely blows your mind when you think the good things that we have in life are given to us by God to enjoy them and to demonstrate, you know, his, his grace and kind of her sister my neighbor, her sister had just won the lottery, like $250,000 or something. And she asked her sister for this money. And she's like, no, I can't. I've got all these commitments, all this stuff. And she says, she says I was just sitting there. She said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And she said, this voice said to her, said, go ask Adam for that money. And 
was like, yeah, I heard that voice too. It said to give it to you. <laughs> um, it said I had to give it to you. Um, but she's like, everyone else says, Adam doesn't have any money. I'm like, that's true. I don't have any money, generally speaking. Um, but it did, I, the money was there at that moment. And, um, and she was able to, to save her house. But even more importantly than that, she was able to see God's provision, one. She was able to see God's love in the, the tangible, you know, neighborly way. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is a real physical neighbor that I have. Um, and it, it creates a bond that, you know, a track can't do. It creates a bond that words, you know, alone... Does, don't do. I mean, $2,000, that, when you don't have it, I mean, that, and you need it, it, it's, it's a huge sacrifice um, that she saw. I mean, she's like, I value you more than I value my car, which seems like an easy thing to say until you have to choose between your neighbor or your car. I mean, this was, I mean, I really wanted the car. I really did. I mean, it would have been great for my family. Um, and this time the Lord actually provided it, but, um, but we have to, we have to put, um, we have to put the play, we have to put the instructions, we have to put the obedience first. We have to be willing to move ourselves into a position where we can receive good things and realize these aren't good things to be spent on myself. These aren't good things to be held just for me. We hold things in trust. We are stewards of Christ's kingdom and Christ's wealth and the cattle on a thousand hills, and it is to provide in the moment that he tells us to the person that he tells us. So he says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won the battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your heart, and you have won your battle over the evil one. The way we are going to win this battle, the way we are going to be strong, is by learning how to obey, how to move ourselves in a position according to the gospel. We talked about that very first commandment. Christ died on the cross. Well, Christ was born of the virgin first. Then he died on the cross. He was buried. He came back to life. He ascended into heaven. And one day soon, he's coming back to judge us. This judgment is going to be based on those commands. Once we get that first commandment taken care of, once we have exchanged our life for his life, and we are no longer our own, but we are his, and we have, we have a reason and a commission and a mandate to obey, we have a real reason to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. He knows the way. Once we actually have, I mean, anyone can say, I want to follow Jesus. But if you don't belong to Jesus, if you're not his, he's, he's not going to steer your life. But once that is taken care of, then all the rest of these other commands, you know, the being baptized, be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Um, these are symbolic commandments. One, you know, is a, is a symbol of, of death and, and resurrection, starting a new life. You just do it once, and you're, um, and it symbolizes that internal reality. 
the, the Lord's Supper, I've always, always scratched my head over that one too. Why do we have these little cups and these little pieces of bread? Like, who, does, who, who is satisfied with this? I mean, I was a kid. I was sitting there going, what is up with this? This isn't even a good snack. And as I've grown older, I've realized the whole point of this symbol, the, the whole point of this symbol is to say, you know, food is what keeps us alive in everyday life. Food is what normal people look to to stay alive. Food is the source of our life. But when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we say the Lord's death is the source of our life. It is not this little cup. It is not this little bread. The created things of this world do not sustain me. It is Christ's death where he purchased my worthless life, where he gave me his life that sustains me. This is what obeying, and we do this, he says, as often as you do this, you should do this often. When we greet each other, we should be proclaiming, it is Christ's death that is supplying my life. My life, the source of my life is Christ's death. These are our symbolic commands. We also have commands that govern our heart. You know, like loving one another and giving to one another. These two go together, loving and giving. Um, Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. These two, I mean, again, money really does speak to people. People see, when they see a dollar bill, they know what a dollar bill costs. In my neighborhood, I live in, I live in Detroit. And my, they say, we know how to make a dollar holler. Okay, you have to stretch those dollars. Dollars are very, very important. And when you help someone financially, I mean, you're physically taking money away from your family and giving it to another family. And that, that demonstrates your heart more than any amount of words, more than any sort of hug or... Or kindness. I mean, it is a, a physical reality that cuts through any amount of um, charade or hypocrisy or or fakey, fakey Christian goodness. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm not asking for your money, so I feel free to tell you, you guys need to give money. <laughs> you need to use your money wisely. Um, and be willing to separate yourselves from it for the, for the sake of Jesus. Um, so loving and giving are our heart, our heart commands. And we've got our mouth commands, which are you know, praying, pray for one another, and testifying, you know, sharing the truth with one another. I can preach to you guys all day long, and I really can. I can't, because Chris said I had to stop. But, um, but the real word that people are, 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 are waiting to hear. The real person they are waiting to hear from is the person that they're connected to. Um, I worked on a cattle ranch a while back, and I lived with a family, and they all were um, you know, real close-knit family. But the one, the dad, who I, I worked with his son, you know, this dad, he would always come and he would always make sure we had everything we needed. And then he would tell us, he would say, I want you guys to know that I care about you and that I love you. And like every every day, I'm like, this is getting kind of ridiculous. You know, I'm like obviously he takes really good care of us and he does everything he can to, to make sure we have what we need. And um, I said, well, what's, what's up with that? And he said, well, my dad, you know, his grandpa, the, my friend's grandpa, He's like, he never said anything. He always did everything, but he never said anything. 
And he's like, and I always, I always, in the back of my mind, I always wondered. He says, I know it was true, but I always wondered about it. And the truth is, there are people in our lives who we're connected to who are waiting for us to use our mouths, who are waiting for us to say the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. And it comes from listening. It comes from listening to Jesus. It comes from listening to other people, being ready to speak the truth of God into their life in the moment that the Holy Spirit is working on them. These are just very vague, very generic commands, you know. Believe, be baptized, pray for one another, love one another, give. You can't You can't just say, I'm going to love my neighbor, though. You need to figure out an actionable, specific plan. How are you going to love your neighbor? How are you going to give? How are you going to pray? What are you actually going to do? What are the actual steps of your play? What does Jesus want you to do? Where does he want you to go? Who does he want you to talk to? Of all the people in your life, who today is the Holy Spirit working on? And pray for it only to be one person, because you don't need 10 people in your life. You need one person, and you need to go and do that one thing. And then you need another person, and you need to go and do that one thing. So just focusing on that, I just want to just want to end with a, a quick anecdote from my childhood, um, from when I was in high school. I went to high school with this sweet, innocent, naive girl named Mary Pellerito. Her family owned the local bakery in town, and they made you know excellent square deep dish pizza. And one day, we're sitting in English class, and she said, Adam, you'll never guess who came into the bakery today. And I said, who, Mary? She said, it was Santa Claus. I was like, well, what do you mean it was Santa Claus? Someone who looked like Santa Claus? She's like, no, it was the real Santa Claus. And I'm like, Mary, you're right, I don't believe that. And she's like, no, but my dad, he took a picture of us together. And when it gets developed, because this was a long time ago, when it gets developed, um, I'm going to bring the picture in and I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm like, Mary, even if you show me a picture, I'm not going to believe that that's that Santa Claus. And she's like, no, I'm telling you. And we're having this conversation during class. And so the teacher stops and she says, Adam, um, is there something important you need to share with the... And before she could even finish that sentence, I mean, I was ready. I jumped up. I said, yes, I have something important that I need to share with the whole class. Because Mary says that she saw Santa Claus in the bakery and that she got her picture taken with him. And, you know, everyone laughs, and the teacher's like, Mary, why, why is Adam bothering you? You know, what, <laughs> why is he picking on you? And she said, no, he's not. He's not picking on me. He says, this, this really happened. Santa Claus came into the bakery, and I got my picture taken with him. And Adam won't believe that it's the real Santa Claus, and I'm going to get the picture, and I'm going to prove it. And my teacher is a little bit exasperated with her because she's a very intelligent girl, but she's very sweet and very, you know, sheltered. Um, and so she says, now, Mary... It's not, you know, the real Santa Claus. No, she's like, it was the real Santa Claus. And my teacher, she said, you mean with, you know, the the red hat and the white beard and the the big red suit? And she said, you've seen him. And we all just died laughing because her response was just so genuine that you, it's true because you've seen him too. At the beginning of of the message, we talked about, you know, Elf, Buddy the Elf and how he, got so excited when he saw Santa Claus and he, he, he wanted to tell everybody that, you know, he knew him. I know him. 
the other side of that, of that relationship is when people come in contact with us, they should look at our lives. They should see the way that we live in the light like Jesus did, and they should be able to say, you've seen him. You've seen him. This is, this is true. This is without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I would just like each of you to look into your own lives and ask, you know, how can I love my neighbor? How can I love my child? How can I love my, my coworker in a specific and, and meaningful way? And with that, I am going to leave you.